the Mindset Athlete Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. I'm a two-time Paralympian and owner of James Robert Fitness, which is an online training, nutrition, and mindset coaching business. First of all, I'd like to thank Lauren Williams for suggesting this quote to the show. An athlete is a mindset. It's how you prepare, think, and execute. Not because of some elite status or physical stature. Anybody can be an athlete. By Chris Hoth. And each week on The Mindset Athlete, we like to bring you inspirational athletes, a message, or experts talking about human optimization to teach you how to change your perception of your mindset and become 1% better. And on today's show, I've got Ron Kaiser. He is a licensed psychologist in Philadelphia, where he's in private practice and also serves consulting psychologist to the Jefferson Headache Center at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital. In addition to serving on staff at both Jefferson and Methodist Hospitals, Dr. Kaiser is a clinical associate professor in the Department of Neurology at Jefferson Medical College. And not forgetting, he is also the author of the best-selling book, Rejuvenating, The Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. So welcome onto the show, Ron. Thank you. Nice to be with you, James. So before we delve into today's topic, Ron, can you give a, a little bit of a gem, something the audience don't know about you that I may have missed out from your initial introduction? Well, some people are sometimes surprised to know that I'm 81 years old. Uh, I continue to work full-time. I also operate a website and podcast. I go to the gym at least three times a week, plus a yoga class, which it's a man yoga class, so you don't have to be real flexible for it. Uh, I don't take any medications unless I'm sick. And I really believe that it's it's very, very important to maintain a good activity level throughout the lifespan because that's the way to avoid preventable uh, diseases, illnesses, maintain your body tone, and, and your mind as healthy as possible. And if we come from that basis, Ron, in terms of when I will hear people of the elder generation say, I can't change myself. I'm resigned to the fact that I'm going to grow world gracefully. Why why do people act in that certain way and kind of, to a certain extent, give up? I think part of it is kind of the role modeling. You know, it's uh, we're now living much longer than at any other point in history. Uh, But yet many of us grew up when the role models were people who – if they lived to the mid-60s, if they lived a year or two past retirement, it was almost like they'd won the lottery. And therefore, that you know, okay, their reward was just lying around. Now, people didn't realize at that time that the taking it too easy actually contributed to their decline. But also, again, the, the, the longer lifespan is really pretty significant. And if you retire, say it, age 60 or 65, you may be living in reasonably good health for another few decades. And the reality is that if, if the best you've got to show for yourself is to every day watch TV, lie around, wait for 
lunch and then wait for dinner, things of that nature, uh, that, that builds up a really negative orientation in yourself and it becomes a whole lot easier to do nothing. I mean, many of us, for example, uh, I rarely miss work because of illness, but every once in a while I may get a virus that puts me down for three or four days. It's a lot harder once you've been lying around for three or four days, to, uh, aside from what, what the illness did to your body, but also emotionally it becomes easier to do nothing than to do something. So it's really important, I believe, for people not to get into the habit of being too sedentary. So what keeps you going in terms of going past uh, what is the confines of probably outside the United States, going past what is retirement age? What ke- what drives you to keep wanting to go to work every day? For one thing, I don't feel any different than I did when, when I was in the more, I guess, the mid years of life. Um, so I, the, the first obvious question I ask myself is why not? Uh, secondly, uh, when, when my wife and I, uh, thought about whether I would be retiring or not, we kind of designed our lives to be in such a way that, Hey, let's get the benefit of both. I enjoy working. I strongly believe that it's an important thing, uh, to maintain health and so on. But let's not deny ourselves some of the things that we might be able to do if we, uh, if we were retired. We've traveled more since I was age 65 than, than uh, any other time in our lives. Uh, four years ago, we moved into the center city of Philadelphia from the suburbs, which means we get to walk everywhere. We're close to restaurants. We're close to theaters, close to uh, athletic events. Uh, the gym is a block and a half walk. Uh, our supermarket's uh, about a two-block walk. You know, we've de- developed a lifestyle that basically says, you know, what what would be better if I wasn't working <laughs> and come up with nothing? Well, in terms of that, that transformation from moving to the suburbs to the city, it, it, it probably encapsulates to a certain extent uh, some paradigms between well, what we would take probably in Europe and more for far apart, it, obviously there's more importance towards walk, walking as opposed to the United States and jump in the car to, to get everywhere. Yeah, I mean, it, it actually takes a different mindset. You know, once, you know, I mean, I, was, I wasn't raised in a suburb, but I was raised in a, in a, a neighborhood, not in the center of the city, uh, I lived briefly in the center of the city before I got married, uh, but we lived in our other house for, for 42 years, and, um, you know, we, we didn't think much about it. I pointed out in my book, for example, the, the fact that uh, there were uh, convenience stores. Uh, the, the dry cleaner was about four or five blocks from my house, but we just weren't oriented in the notion of, you know, how heavy is, you know, to, is it to pick up five shirts and a pair of slacks and walk back? We just weren't oriented toward it. So uh, I really think, and, and this is where the Europeans have it all over us uh, in terms of being able to uh, have a great deal of walkability, 
to think in terms of, okay, you don't buy a week's worth of groceries at one time. You, you buy what you can carry in, in both your hands. You uh, think in terms of uh, if you have a car that you don't have to drive at every place that you go. Uh, so, so again, I, I think it takes a different mindset, but it, it's real important to see that as a positive thing. You know, in other words, uh, realistically, uh, it, it's healthy, it's convenient, there's lots of reasons for it to be positive. In my case, also, it's, uh, it's an eight-minute walk to work, which means that when I turn on the radio and hear what the traffic is like or what the weather is like, I don't have to make any modifications for it. Um, there was, uh, uh, I, I had read years ago uh, that they were talking about why some of our presidents and some of the uh, leaders in other governments, um, why they tended to have a fairly normal lifespan or a fairly long lifespan. And they said one of the things they don't have to worry about is waiting at the gate for the plane or uh, they can cut through traffic, things of this. And I find kind of the same thing here too. If you can modify your life in such a way that it makes it easier, uh, then it, it makes it easier to, to continue working. It makes it easier to go to the gym. It makes it easier to uh, eat healthy because uh, you can buy fresh uh, food on a, on a regular basis. Uh, so, so again, I, I'm a big believer in a positive mindset. But also, Ron, why do you think, per se, from a negative perspective, that the American culture puts so much of an attachment to the car. What's that built upon? Well, I think advertising is, uh, has played a big role. In other words, I think that, uh, for, for many people, uh, you know, if you're bombarded with advertising about, uh, different kinds of cars and what they look like, then it becomes a real status symbol. So if you're paying $75,000 for a car, uh, you want to use it. Uh, I mean, in our case, you know, again, it spends most of its time in the garage, so that's less important. But, yeah, you want to use it. You want to make sure that um, it doesn't look worse than your neighbors, that there's a time when uh, it gets uh, the car may get corroded, it may lose its its luster, and you don't want that to, to happen, or you don't want to keep it too long after that happens. And then when when you get that kind of emphasis, then, you know, cars, all cars do pretty much the same thing. They get you from one place to another. So then you have to start looking at, well, what is it uh, that, that would lead you to select this car and, and a particular advertiser may or, or an auto company may emphasize power another may emphasize uh, comfort things of this nature so once you've uh, invested in that decision making it really becomes a part of you and and I also would not dismiss the, the possibility or the factor that um, it's a whole lot easier to drive a mile than to walk a mile. 
so that if you, unless you're in the middle of the city where, where you've got a lot of heavy traffic, but uh, it, it, it's easier and, it, you know, it becomes easier. It's why the same reason, for example, that uh, some people will, after dinner, turn on the TV, not have anything that they really want to watch in particular, and will start channel surfing and so on. Uh, just it's a whole lot easier than, than going to the gym, but it's not a whole lot healthier. Yeah, but all of the undertones of that, Ron, is obviously convenience, but the negative side of that, and this is probably where you would agree, what den- detrimental effect long-term will that not only have on the mental health, but obviously your physical health, being doing that repeated state of convenience, uh, taking the shortcut option, I'll use, mm-hmm. for this example, and short- thinking of it short-term, as opposed to looking at... Uh, you using the example of, of walking, uh, driving a mile as opposed to walking it. Well, okay, in the short term, that doesn't really do anything. But if you look at the bigger picture, that's going to become a massive problem. Absolutely. And that's, it's always more difficult to sell prevention than it is to uh, treat a disease or illness. Uh, and, and I think many of us in, in the medical and psychological field are at least share responsibility for this because we've been emphasizing disease. You know, if you come there with uh, and you're depressed, um, as a psychologist, at one point I would consider my job done if the person is feeling better. Uh, I didn't take them to the next step to thriving, which is what I want to do now. And in, in essence, uh, to kind of see myself as more like a personal trainer at the gym. You don't have to be overweight, out of shape to go to the gym, but you want to be able to become the best version of yourself. Um, so I think that it's getting past some of the, the old thinking is uh, really important. Second, I think people don't appreciate not only is the impact physically uh, and uh, mentally in terms of, of mood, but there are also some very important brain changes that uh, are taking place. Uh, there is uh, a part of neuroscience is the study of neuroplasticity, which is the brain's ability to change and repair itself and so on. There was a time that we thought that about age 30, you kind of maxed out in terms of your brain's ability to to do anything new. You know, you could absorb new information, but not make major changes. We now know that you can uh, make new uh, connections, create new neural pathways, uh, actually create new neurons, and that occurs throughout the lifespan. And uh, I think it becomes very important. I, I see it as kind of the equivalent of saving money for retirement, that a lot of people don't think about saving money for retirement because they're not close to it. And then when they get close to it, then they have to start worrying about running out of money. I think in this case, it's the same type of situation. People sometimes uh, don't pay attention to diet, exercise, uh, staying uh, involved with other people. Uh, you know, the, all these things then build to, well, what happens if 
uh, you reach retirement age and your health isn't uh, enjoyable if you're if you don't have friends or a wide group of friends or you move to another another area and you have to start over and you don't have those same kinds of skills and connections what happens if you don't stay active intellectually so I think that uh, we have to move toward the notion that hey this is a, a lifelong process that people who start early uh, who develop good habits and there there's really good science to, to identify the fact that it happens in three main areas that if you can develop good habits in the health and fitness area in the intellectual functioning area and in the social involvement areas that uh, the odds are much, much better that you're going to have uh, healthier, older years in every way than, than if you don't. But would you not argue that those skills you can still, to a certain extent, um, look at it, those that you can be very much, I'm going to word this, acquire, even if you say you don't, you're not necessarily not very good at one facet or the other in your earlier years? is looking at this, I think people do get fixated on, I'm only very good at this. So if I grow, as I grow older, as you said, it, 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 this way of thinking is, this it only can be this way. I can't deviate off this path. So I have to conf- confide to what was, what, what um, this thought process, my thought process is. But I think if you had an open-mindedness that you can shift and probably treat the brain as if it was like any other, no other no other muscle in your body that it can change, I think people would have a different outlook. Okay, you can't change everybody's way of thinking, but it would be, be going a more positive direction. Absolutely. Uh, change is uncomfortable, but there's a difference between being uncomfortable and being impossible. Uh, in my book, for example, I identified 71 specific behaviors broken down into seven keys of things that people can do to make changes in any uh, area of their lives. I mean, certainly of the 71 behaviors, almost everybody is doing some of them already. But uh, the things that that are new, I mean, every uh, this, this is recognized just generally, I mean, colleges and universities now offer uh, reduced fee or free courses for seniors. Uh, the uh, the gym that I belong to uh, offers free memberships for people past a certain age. Uh, th- there's a lot of encouragement to make some of these kinds of changes. If you have more time on your hands, you can do more volunteering. And again, some of this is uncomfortable, but... It's, again, change is something that's really always been necessary in order for the the species to survive and grow. And we've kind of got an obligation, I think, to be the best version of ourselves for as long as we can. And Ron, out of the 71 tips that you recommend in your book, what would be the top five, and this is going to test you now, be some of the changes you think people may have not thought about doing like some really not controversial, but kind of something different. Okay. Well, I think 
first of all, I, I think it's not necessarily important that it be really dramatic, dangerous, things of that nature. I think that change, if you're moving in the right direction, then that's a real positive thing. It's, it's hard to be moving forward. It's hard to be active and be depressed at the same time, for one thing. Uh, but one of the things that I think a lot of people uh, who don't recognize is how much benefit they get from doing good for other people. So volunteering, uh, particularly for somebody who is uh, kind of socially shy or, or uncomfortable, is a really positive thing on a lot of levels. One is, there, again, we, there's research to demonstrate that there is a thing called the helper's high, that you actually benefit uh, as much or in some, in some studies more than the person that you're helping. Secondly, it helps somebody who's uh, perhaps more socially awkward to be in a position where you're not, it's not like sitting around uh, a room or a bar and trying to make conversation. There's an actual task to be done. So that's, that's one of the things that I, I uh, encourage. Second thing is that I encourage people to uh, make sure that they are keeping their, their brain active and that I encourage either taking a class to build on their own knowledge uh, and or to learn a new skill. But the other thing a lot of people don't realize is they may have some real skills to impart to others. Um, a lot of people who are in, in the advanced age have been mentors to other people on their job and so on. Uh, so being able to look for opportunities to teach or even write kind of a, a memoir type thing for their, their children or grandchildren is, is a really positive thing. Uh, Another in, in the health and fitness area is to learn how to discipline yourself with respect to eating. Uh, and for a lot of people, this, this seems really tough. So I, I like people to be aware of the fact that uh, when you try and change habits, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be easy. But, for example, people will tell me if I'm working with them on a, on a, about a diet, geez, if I if I don't eat between meals, I'll get hungry. Um, yeah. So there's an alternative to eating, and that's to stay hungry. You usually don't create, unless there is some, some particular blood sugar illness or something like that, you usually don't create a lot of problems by not eating between meals. So no, staying hungry, uh, and then particularly for those of us uh, who have downsized over time. Uh, this may be a little more challenging because our kitchen is right next to uh, uh, other rooms as opposed to uh, in a larger house, we'd have to go there. So I encourage people if they're taking any snacks, when they've taken what they're, what they're going to take, wrap it up, put it back in the cupboard or in the refrigerator or whatever it is. So they have to mindfully kind of go back and take something else. And that discourages a lot of people. Uh, and when I couple that with you only eat in rooms that are designed for eating, and which doesn't mean where you're watching TV, that's not designed for eating. 
that tends to, to limit uh, things a whole lot. Uh, and the other that I think people find much more difficult because uh, they just haven't been trained in that way unless, unless they've been gym rats uh, kind of much of their lives. And that's to really begin to structure in exercise times so that the default is that they're going to be active. In other words, if I, and it doesn't have to be heavy exercise again, it might be taking a 20 minute walk at the start. Um, But if I know that I am going to do that before I sit down for dinner, I've got to be willing to accept the fact that I, I'm not going to eat dinner until I do what I said I was going to do. So learning how to uh, impose some discipline on yourself, particularly in the health and fitness area, uh, is is important. But it's also applicable to other areas. If I say that I'm going to, you know, I've got this whole list of uh, pleasure reading books or classics that I meant to get through, get to all my life, but I had to do reading for work uh, and, and I didn't have time left over, then if I say I'm going to do 20 minutes a day uh, of reading and it's going to be between these times or 45 minutes or whatever it may be, uh, then I, you know, if I'm going to do it before dinner, if I'm going to do it before I go to bed, whatever it may be, I have to actively say that, hey, there's something here that's more important Otherwise, I got to do it. But does that come from a psychological sense and from a psychologist's point of view? Does that come down to reprogramming, um, setting yourself? um, It's not really a to-do list, but in terms of a reminder from a technological sense, does it come down to one of those two bases to be able to enact that change? I think it's really an extension of the way that, that we learn. You know, in, in other words, if you're an elementary school student or a high school student and you've got a certain amount of homework in your various subjects, uh, you either are going to structure in the time to do it or take the chance that, that it's not going to happen. Uh, people who tend to structure in that time uh, you know, will have a greater chance of using their education to get the job that they want. Um, as we get older and those who retire and so on, your job is to take care of yourself, to make yourself the best version of yourself that you can be. And if you're saying, well, when I was in school, I really studied because I knew that I wanted to be an engineer, uh, a lawyer, whatever it might be. Um, but now, you know, I, I don't have to be anything. But, yeah, you do have to be something. You have to be the best version of yourself. And in order to do so, you need to be healthy from a physical standpoint, intellectual standpoint, and social standpoint. But shouldn't the, and I'm going to coin it, my age group, be it people in their 20s, their 30s, their 40s, take more headway of what you've just said in terms of, putting importance of themselves ahead of anything else because those are probably people that will 
brush things aside and I'll get to it at a later time because work is how I see it more important. I'll get round to it when I get round to it. Should they, should that generation take more head of obviously what you say to the older population, but also where they used to be as the youngest, youngest, younger version of themselves? Absolutely. I mean, I think that you need, uh, there's no question that, that there are certain priorities that may not be as critical later on, such as a job or child rearing, uh, various things that, that may be reduced in importance over time, but you always really need to get into the habit of being good to yourself and doing those things that, that make sense for yourself. You know, I, I work with a lot of people who are in the younger age ranges or middle age who will do if their child needs a particular uh, uh, program that, you know, either to advance academically or athletically or so on, they're there. Uh, but they don't apply it to themselves. And, you know, as, as I'm sure I don't need to tell you that gyms are full of people who do manage to combine uh, staying healthy with a job and uh, child rearing or uh, marital responsibilities or whatever. Um, it's harder if you've got more responsibilities, just like, you know, I uh, uh, I think it's harder to be me at my age than somebody who's retired and has all that time. But uh, by managing it, I think I'm being you know pretty good to myself. And I and I really uh, I'm a big believer in the positive mindset and in the mindset that I'm I'm important. And I think you got to be able to to see that throughout your life. And it's not always easy when you say you've got a, a boss who's very critical or if you've been kind of brought up with criticism uh, to, to suddenly say that, hey, I'm, I'm the most important person to me and I deserve to be really good to myself. Uh, but that's why people like me are around to help in that regard. But do you think from that regard, Ron, that people are, you are, is it a sense of a learned skill or is it one that is, oh, what's the opposite? Um, that is, you've either learned it or you've been, to, or, or, or is it something, a skill that's taught? Whereas you see the importance of somebody needs to put in place something to advance, but you don't implement that for yourself. Is that a learned skill or is it a taught skill? I think there there are two things that that are contributory here. First of all, it really helps if you have really good role models. Not everybody does, but it but it really helps because role modeling is a powerful teacher. I think the second thing is there is a lot of uh evidence to demonstrate that the more positive terms that you hear about yourself, whether it come from family, employers, uh, others, uh, the more that positive in relation to negative, uh, that the greater chance 
that you're going to be more productive for your employer as well as more positive about yourself. There have been studies that show uh, anywhere of a, you need a ratio of somewhere between three and five, five positive statements for each negative one that you hear. So I think a big part of it is, is kind of acquired as opposed to learned. But I think that uh, we now have enough evidence, enough research, enough basis in science that people can learn these kinds of things uh, either through therapy, through uh, courses in in self-improvement and self-development, which are more widespread. Uh, So the learning is, is a way of doing it, but I, I think there's no doubt that some people have a better head start if they've had good role modeling and, uh, and or mentors uh, or supervisors who are able to, to assess them and compliment them. And obviously, from your, your title in your book, it's obviously using enthusiasm is a big proponent of that. And in terms of obviously having the right role model, the right environment and the like, obviously it elicits that a little bit easier. Yeah, I think enthusiasm is probably one of the most un- underrated emotions uh, that that has been studied. But I think it's really, really important. I think that uh, you know y- you can see it in in the differences between people between how people assess different things. Uh, you know, the there are some people who just can't get enthusiastic about education. They can't imagine how somebody would choose to go to college for not just one degree, but but for a master's or doctorate or something like that. Uh, there are a whole lot of people who can't, who uh, look at me and probably you and just can't imagine, you know, you willingly go to the gym that many times a week. Uh, you know, I, but I'm enthusiastic, enthusiastic about it. I'm enthusiastic about learning and enthusiastic about meeting new people. And I just think that, that enthusiasm is a key at every age, but it's one of the things that can really rekindle some of the things that, that we're good at at an older age. And I do want to emphasize, I mean, that, uh, you know, most of us are pretty good at all these things, but we haven't totally develop them. I mean, we're complex people who have learned how to walk, how to talk, how to read, so on. So that the, the notion of how to learn how to be good to yourself uh, shouldn't be shouldn't be seen as something that's that's strange or that requires a whole different type of human being. And my penultimate question to you, Ron, is in terms of looking at it from that basis, how would you get somebody to either challenge or change their thought process to be towards, sorry, be more enthusiastic? That is the challenge, you know, because uh, first of all, that one of the things that we've learned in science is that there humans have a negativity bias, that it actually goes back, you know, centuries ago uh, when people were living uh, under harsh conditions in caves and uh, related kinds of places. They had to worry about the weather elements. They had to worry about the danger of 
uh, wild beasts. They had to worry about other tribes over time so that historically uh, there's been this built-in negativity bias uh, so that now when most people are living in fairly sheltered environments, don't have to worry about some of the same things, we're more in, uh, in tune with what can go wrong than what can go right. Uh, my first book that I ever wrote was an ebook called What Can Go Right, and it came f from my work with patients that uh, I would very often when they were facing challenges, I would ask when, when they were dealing with the thing, uh, I'd say, what can go right? And that was like a stumper. You know, people would say, I, I, I never thought of it, or I can tell you what can go wrong. Uh, but, you know, I thought it was a, a fairly simple question. So, I mean, th that's why it's a challenge. I mean, enthusiasm, as I said, I think it's underrated and I think it's underdeveloped in human beings. Uh, so to tell somebody, well, get enthusiastic when your orientation is toward being negative is uh, probably not going to work. That's why I like the notion of saying, okay, here are some activities that you should be doing. And as you get into them, you know, let's make it a bit of more challenging. Uh, if you don't like what you're doing, it's still important to do something that improves the mind or improves the body, so on. And it's, it's pretty hard not to, I mean, again, I keep coming back to the gym as an example and school as an example, but, you know, if, if once you start finding what you like to do, it, things become pretty self-rewarding, and then that becomes, you know, a source of enthusiasm. Uh, Again, yeah, we, we kind of started the show talking about, you know, what I'm doing. I, I certainly wouldn't continue to be working as hard as I did if I wasn't enthusiastic about it. I wouldn't, con wouldn't have written the book and tried to spread the word if I didn't think that people can feel better than they do. Uh, you know, I've seen too many of my peers who just have just allowed the course of events to determine how they're going to age and they're the ones who aren't enthusiastic and they're having a lot less fun. Uh, they're the ones who are more likely to complain about, uh, Hey, I had to, uh, we've been here in this restaurant for, you know, 10 minutes and we haven't been seated yet. Uh, they're, they're, you know, things suddenly take on real importance, uh, that, you know, the, there's a thunderstorm, uh, they usually end, you know, but people will focus on uh, the weather, on uh, how slow the service is. There's a lot more things to focus on and be enthusiastic on. And uh, I hope that's the message I, I'm able to impart. But Ron, in term, before I let you go, in terms of this reprogramming and undertones towards where DNA genetically should i say still programmed in the past when will it come a time that we evolve and this will become less of a problem in terms of you know always being gravitating back to negativity be it that's generation old yeah great question and uh i would remind you what i said about neuroplasticity that the brain continues to change there is evidence that 
the, cha- the brain can change in a positive direction. Uh, there's a neuropsychologist, Rick Hansen, who has developed a whole theory around it that if you begin to actively take in the good, that you focus on not just doing uh, what you're doing, that, that you finish the chapter of a book, but you really take it in and appreciate, hey, this was, this was fun. I learned something. That you really uh, get out in the, the, the weather and appreciate the fact that, hey, you know, this is, this is an enjoyable thing. Appreciate the fact that when I turn on the shower in the morning, the water usually is the right temperature. If I, uh, as little as I drive nowadays, since I don't have to, uh, if I get from one place to another uh, and pass hundreds of cars on the way there and none of them hit me, that's, that's a pretty good day. So, I, I mean, again, we very often, t- th- there are hundreds of seemingly mundane but positive things that happen in the course of the day. And... Uh, I'm very confident that if, as a species, we begin to really focus on that, to take in the good, uh, to really think in terms of what can go right, I don't know when the shift inside the average brain will go from negative to positive, but I'm confident that it will. (coughs) Excuse me. (laughs) And my final question to Ron before we wrap up the episode is if you had to summarize what we've been speaking about today into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be? That's a little hard, but I'd say, number one, that it's very important to approach life with enthusiasm and with thinking about what can go right and to recognize that no matter where you are in the lifespan, you can make changes in a positive direction. So once again, Ron, thanks again for coming on the Mindset Athlete Podcast. Well, thank you, James. It's been a real pleasure. And I'm a big fan of yours and look forward to having you on my podcast. Oh, the pleasure has been absolutely all mine. If you like this episode, please do share it with your friends and do let Ron and I know what you thought of the episode by tagging us over on Instagram at the Mental Health Gym and at James or Robert 11 And again, you can do the same on Twitter and Facebook. And finally, do check out his website, thementalhealthgym.com. But not forgetting, check out his best-selling book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. And as always, do check out my free content at fitamputee.co.uk and click on the, the link, Free Resources. Make sure to check those links out. They will be in the description. You can find all the show notes at mindsetgame.lipsum.com under the category psychology. So once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next week for another episode of the Mindset Athlete Podcast.